If you have a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have one, when you came in, you got a bulletin, and there's an outline there, and all the verses we're speaking from are in your outline, so you could follow along with that too. So, um, So... I like hiking. My wife and I both like hiking. And I, even when I was a freshman at Iowa, I found those trails out around Woodpecker Trail. And I used to get away from campus and just, I love just getting away. So for a five-minute drive, that's not a bad getaway. And so even from where we live in North Liberty to go to Squire Point, it's just, I love hiking. So but when we've gone different trips as a family too, we uh, try to find good places to go hike and see different things. And as a dad, I've done a below average job, I would say, of finding good trails, because it seems like more often I'll find a trail that ends up being too long, and everybody gets burned out or tired, or the climb was too steep, or we'd read about, like, oh, when you get to the end of this trail, this is what you'll be able to see, and we get there, and it's not that great, you know, and so, and so we had one of those last summer where we were told, you know, this trail will take you to a beautiful waterfall, and it was the worst trail of my life. It was all, a lot of rocks, a lot of mud, a lot of just flowing water, and I had the wrong shoes on, and I was just getting beat up. Like, I was falling down one time. I just said, I hate this, you know, in front of my family. There we go. Because I was just, and when we got to the end, like, it was just a very mediocre waterfall. It's like, you're kidding me. Like, I went through all that for this, and then we had to go back the same way we came. So that was not my favorite hike either. So, but occasionally, kind of like a blind squirrel finding a nut now and then, like occasionally in the history of our family hikes, we have hit those places where you get to a spot and you just look and you just gaze and you go, that is awesome. Like, that is cool. And so maybe the the rarity with which that happens makes those moments even more special in my family. So, but today I feel like like we are, um, all the Bible is the word of God. Every verse is inspired by God and is profitable to us. But there are certain passages that when you hit them, you just feel like you're just gazing at, at something majestic and beautiful, and that's, that's uh, today's passage. When I was going through it one time this week, I remember the feeling I had when I first saw the Grand Canyon and just literally gasped, like, wow, this is cool. I had one of those moments in the text we're going to look at today where I just looked at those verses again and said, wow, you're kidding me. Because what we're going to see today is the beauty of Jesus and what he has done uh, for us and what Jesus has done for us is unlike what any other religious leader has done. Like, you, you guys, you are so favored. You are so blessed to worship a God who is such a humble God, to have a Savior who is such a humble Savior, who has humbled himself so much for you. Guys, we are privileged people to know such a God and to know such a Savior. And so kind of the whole theme this morning is the theme of humility, And as a preacher, sometimes you wonder, like, okay, is what I'm talking about uh, what my people need today? Like, is this going to interest them? And I'm pretty safe on this one that we all need a shot of humility. The problem is, like, we don't, um, we're not aware of that. Like, uh, detecting pride in our own lives is really hard to do. It's really easy to see it in other people, but it's hard to see it in ourselves. But it's pretty safe to assume that every one of us here could grow in the area of humility. And what a real incentive behind that could be like because the the amount of humility that's in our lives just opens up like the more humility just opens up so many things for you there's a theologian named john stott that said in every journey like every step in your relationship with god pride is your greatest enemy but humility is your greatest friend 
And I would say the same, uh, that's true in your relationship with God. I'd say that's true in a marriage, that's true in a friendship, that's true in a community group, and it's true in a church. Like the, the more humility exists in a church, the more powerful that church is going to be. And so in Philippians 2, what we're going to see is Philippians was um, a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He's the guy that wrote half the New Testament. He was an enemy of Jesus and Christians until he met Jesus on a road to Damascus and his life completely flipped. And he gave the rest of his life identifying himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And his goal was that as many people as possible would get to see how amazing Jesus is. That's what he, he just laid down his life for that. And so these people he's writing to, the Philippians, it's a church that he planted uh, maybe about eight years before this letter, okay? And so it's a group of people that started, it's a church that started in the midst of some, some really hard circumstances. And these people have been true teammates with Paul. Like they've been partners with him in the gospel. And you'll notice a totally different tone. Paul wrote a lot of letters to other churches, but this one you can tell there's a special affinity with these people. He loves them. And so he's already kind of opened up his life. The first part of chapter one, he was just telling us the update from his own life that he's been in prison and kind of letting friends know how he's doing. But even though he's been in prison, uh, and really if you track his life for the last four years, He's been imprisoned in one form or the other. But he's telling his friends, like, but I'm still rejoicing because the gospel's going forth. And so we, we saw this a couple weeks ago that Paul's, like, in prison, chained to a different uh, elite guard in, like, four to eight-hour shifts. He's getting a new one, and he just keeps telling the new one about Jesus. Like, instead of complaining about his circumstance, he's taking advantage of it. And so there's a lot of joy in that. And so really he's kind of updated them until we hit last week's passage, Philippians 1.27. I feel like Paul put on his coach's hat, maybe pulled out a coaching clipboard, and say, okay, guys, I love you. You're doing amazing things, but here's something we got to work on. Like, here's something that will make us even a stronger church. And I, as I've been reading that, I just, I could say many of the same things about Parkview. Like, I, there are so many examples. I just read us through a few minutes earlier, like, things that God is doing around here. So many examples of people laying down their lives for the gospel. So grateful for that. But at the same time, I do feel like, like this is, Paul could, could give the same talk to us this morning. Like, guys, I affirm you, there's great things going on, but, but let's, let's consider, what if we were to be even more united? If we were to show more humility to one another, what could happen? And so that's kind of the tone of our passage today. And so let me pray that God will speak to us, because again, he's going to be touching some deep things in our in our hearts, and yet the way he's going to try to open up our hearts and show us uh, our humility is going to be this beautiful gaze at what Jesus has done for us. And I just, I pray that rocks us in a fresh way today. So let's pray, and then we'll start, start studying this passage. So, uh, Father, I pray that you would give me clarity of thought, that you um, would just speak through me today, that I would stay out of the way of such a beautiful and powerful passage. I pray that that these words would jump beyond the level of familiarity, that we wouldn't just come and go and go, yeah, we read some verses from the Bible, but that we would truly square up with one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus and what he's done for us. And, and I pray that would be more, that would, the result would be more than just a momentary, just kind of buzz or thrill, but that it would really flesh out in a church that's living in a whole different way, a good church, a church doing many great things, but a church that, that could be called up 
to even greater levels of humility. So God, do that uh, through your word today. In your great name we pray, amen. All right, so Philippians 2, 1, we'll start. Let me read a couple verses there, and we'll keep going. So Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being, full in, being in full accord and of one mind. So uh, I think this is actually an extension of what he started in verse said, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And so last week he talked about striving together for the gospel, standing strong, standing together, suffering well together. Those were some of the themes. So now verse 2, 1 is kind of picking up on that. And he's wanting us to be of the same mind that's come up a couple different times, to have the same focus, the same passion. Like what's going to truly unite us is this mind that he's talking about. I want you to have a, a, a united mindset. I want this to be the motivator for everyone, okay? And then he, he goes on and he describes what humility is. He gives a great, I think, definition, explanation of humility. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit uh, is how he starts out. So two negatives, like don't do anything out of selfish ambition. You can think of rivalry or competing with each other for attention or you know, my cause is greater than your cause, or let's do this, let's do that. Remember, he's speaking to a really good church, but in this church, there apparently is some rivalry going on. This personality, that personality, this ministry, that ministry, this passion, that passion. So he said, don't do anything out of rivalry, out of selfish ambition. And then he uses the word empty conceit. It's kind of a really unique word. It basically means self-glorification or seeking personal glory, seeking personal comfort, focusing on what is best for me. So selfish ambition and empty conceit are really the mortal enemies in a church. Like those are the things that divide a church. And every time I say church this morning, if you want to even focus that on a marriage or a friendship or a relationship or a community group, the same thing is there as well. That whenever the predominant aims are selfish ambition, empty conceit, uh, those are going to fight against unity and humility, all right? So he says, don't, don't do anything from those two things. But, now the contrast is, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, there is one long Greek word that is translated with humility of mind. And it really meant to, have, to, to think lowly. To think, to think low. And it's interesting, it was a word not used much in Greek literature at that time because to think humbly was despised in that culture. Like, you don't, you don't go there. Like, that's, that's wrong thinking. Like, those are, that's the kind of thought of a, of a servant or somebody that's not worth anything. And so to be commended to or to commend uh, others to be humble-minded was just a foreign concept. And so it's only really in the Bible. And then it's interesting, around the second century, that word started gaining traction and usage because I think it was the Christians that started making and elevating the quality of humility. So, so but it's a really interesting word. It's a unique word, humility of mind, lowly thinking. So basically, a good summary of that is true humility is not putting yourself down, but it's lifting others up. So it's kind of the tone here. I love when C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. That's what Paul's kind of encouraging them to. So um, in humility, 
count others more significant than yourselves. So that phrase, regard others as more important, um, means a couple things. It means to carefully reason through and come to the conclusion that there is no one who is beneath you. No one is of a lower rank than you. Like, you do not power up on anybody. When you survey the people in your church, the people in your classes, the people in your campus, the people at work, there is nobody that you cannot serve. It's not like you have arrived to this level. Now, there's a, maybe there's some that are above you, but there's a lot of people who are below you. You may serve these folks, but maybe not that. And Paul says, no, don't, don't do that. I want you to regard others, regard everyone as more important than yourself. So there is no one that you outrank. There is nobody who is beneath you serving them. That's, that's what he's calling them to. And so if you were in Philippi and you were getting Paul's letter, like this would be unique language. Like you would never have heard this kind of teaching, uh, especially in Philippi. Philippi was, you might have talked about this last week. I was at North Campus. I don't know for sure, but you might have talked about how uh, the people in Philippi were Roman citizens, and so they were all about rank and privilege, and, and it was also a military outpost, and so it was, if you know, like a military town in our country, like where there's a lot of personnel that just live there, just the whole arrangement of rank, title, privilege, authority, just, just dominated that culture. And so Paul's speaking a completely different language here when he's talking about there's no one uh, who is beneath you, no one that you cannot serve. Like you were to take the lowest rank and look up at everyone else, not look down. Like all this was just a radical issue. And you could say the same thing today too. Like we live in a culture that just promotes, you know, self-awareness, self-improvement, like just all the selves we have, self-expression. Like all these are the predominant uh, drives and, and maybe you know, mantras and ways of thinking in our, even in our culture today. And so this is a totally different language that he's talking about. But remember this, the people Paul's talking to, the context he's talking about is the church. Like he's, he's not commenting on, yeah, the Greco-Roman world is just messed up. No, he's gently, lovingly talking about the church. Okay, he's talking about Christians. Like this is, and so again, like we could say, yeah, that's the way this world is. I think Paul would say, no, Parkview and you personally, like, let's, cons let's put ourselves under the microscope. Like, are these things existent here in my heart, in my family, in my relationships, in how I view church, in how I view community? Like, are these, so that, that's where Paul's attention is right now. It, cert certainly it's a secular issue, but it's also a church issue. It's a me and you issue. So, Let's go there with it. Tim Keller is a guy that's planted many churches in New York City, and as he comments on the Western church, he says one of the top idols facing the Western church today is consumerism. Consumerism, that it's very easy for people attending church to have uh, the reasons they attend that church uh, to be not the ones that Paul's talking about here, that to pick a church because of what it does for me or how it helps me emotionally or socially or vocationally and so that people come and evaluate and pick and choose what they want to get from a church instead of what they want to go and give to a church. And so, um, again, um, please, if any of this comes off um, critical, I am not an angry pastor. I'm a very grateful pastor for what I get to do here. Um, but there are times where, again, I've said this a lot recently, like if I could mount a camera and just have like a, a library of the conversations 
uh, that I've had. There's some very beautiful ones. There's some very powerful ones. Um, some of the sad ones, though, are sometimes when there's a, you know, insistence on, you know, why can't we do this? Like, why can't the music be what I want, you know? Or as opposed to, like, I would love to say, you know, like, hey, there are so many people in our town that would just love this kind of music. Could we do that for them? You know, like, and so sometimes it's music or, uh, I hesitate to say this one because my teaching needs help. So, like, if you ever have good insights for me or ideas for me how I can be a better preacher, please bring that on, okay? Promise? Like, I need that, okay? So, or if occasionally it works out well to hear that now and then, that's like the blind squirrel and the nut thing, that makes that blind squirrel feel good. So, throw that out there. But sometimes, like, I'll hear, like, you know what? Your preaching is just way too deep. Like, I want anybody in our town, we're one of the least Bible-minded uh, churches in the, in the country, like why, you just make sure when you preach, everybody can get it and follow it. It's like, oh, thank you. Like I, I'll try, like I really want that to be the case. So, but then sometimes like shortly after that, you say, you know what, your preaching is way too shallow. Like you just need to go deep. Like just preach to the mature. Like and so, and then we will take the gospel to the city. And so you come out of both conversations and <laughs> you just got to go before God and say, okay, God, what do you want? Like what's, what does the Bible inform? And I, to me, actually, that question is like, Doug, which wing on the airplane do you want? And it's so like, do you want mature believers like encountering God's word and being challenged and changed? Yes. Okay. But if somebody's here for their first time and they took the courage to come and they want to encounter God, do I want them to follow along? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, but just like the, you know, just, uh, if we could be a church, and we are in so many ways, that our preferences are really our deferences. You know, like I, I would long for, you know, this group or these people to just really see Jesus. It's like, yes, me too. That's why I do what I do. And I want to do it better. And I want to do it well. But this is crucial, you guys, because our whole mission hinges on humility. Like the, the, the minute the humility gauge starts dropping is, is the minute we become more and more ineffective for the gospel. Guys, everything we're trying to do just really um, is, is relying on humble people, on um, people who are deferring to themselves in order that Jesus would get more glory. So you think about we're one church, so many different backgrounds, like different ages and religious backgrounds, spiritual backgrounds, like we're all trying to come together as one to follow Jesus. We even have three campuses now and very different campuses, but we're trying to do this three campuses, one church, you know, and that takes a lot of humility. Um, you know, in our, in our, I just did the giving spiel right before the offering, you know, like, so there's so many things that we as a church, our budget is going to places that we're not expecting fat checks to come back, you know, so we love college ministry, but we don't, no church goes, man, I just can't wait till those college kids start dropping big checks into the budget, like, so <laughs> these guys are struggling, it's like, but we, gosh, I, I love that we have a 24-7, you know, or, or a faith academy, like a school that's for you know, just doing some groundbreaking things, but we're not sitting here thinking, great, well, if we start a faith academy, we're going to get all these big fat checks rolling back this way. Like, there's so much uh, that what you guys do financially that just is expressing humility, or even to be a multi-generational church. I think the trend today is you see churches factioning by age and demographic, and I just, that just breaks my heart. Like, no, like in heaven, there's not going to be compartments of when were you born and let's put you in 10-year increments. Like, no, it's like there's a beautiful thing 
when the, when the generations come together and all exalt Jesus. So, so what Paul is saying to the Philippians, like I, I, I'm just saying to him, bring it. Like bring it to me and bring it to this church because we need what you're talking about, Paul. We need greater humility. So you could ask, well, what's possibly going to pull that off? Like, what's gonna, it's not going to be a flashy, first of all, this is not a flashy pastor, so it's not going to be some charismatic leader that's going to pull this off. It's got to be something incredibly deeper than that, and that's where Paul continues, verse 5, where he says, have this mind among yourselves. Remember, he's already talked about be of one mind and have this mind. So, like, what mind are you talking about? So now he gets to it in verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this is the common passion. This is the pursuit that's going to unite the Philippians. It's going to unite Parkview. Like, have this mind, which is interesting the way he phrases this, it's already yours. Like, this is a mindset that you already have. It's yours in Christ Jesus. And we'll come back to that, but don't, don't forget that. So then, okay, it's like verse 5 is the bridge on this hike that we've been on, and now you cross the bridge and there's the scene, okay? Verses six to eight. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, he starts talking about Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Would you just stop and gaze at the Grand Canyon of Scripture? This is our God. This is Jesus. This is what he has done. You could, you could spend hours breaking these words down. Jesus was fully God. So he's the form of God, complete through and through God, equal to God. But yet that privilege of being God was not something that Jesus held onto, grasped onto for selfish gain. He emptied himself. He let go of privilege. He did not let go of deity. He didn't stop being God, but he let go of the privileges, the benefits of being God. He emptied himself of the rights of deity, of being present and intimate in heaven with his Father. He emptied himself of power, status, comfort, and title. Jesus became a servant. He took on the identity of a servant. Remember in Paul's day, that was the lowest of the low. You had no identity, no value. You were just a servant. No rights, no privileges as a servant. And Jesus went from fully God emptied himself and became a servant. It says that Jesus was born in the likeness of men. That means when Jesus was born, he 
took on flesh. So in eternity past, Jesus existed as fully God, the Son of God, fully God. But when Jesus was born at the incarnation, he took on flesh. So he's still fully God, but now he is God and man. He was born in the likeness of men. He took on flesh. So that also means when he took on flesh, he took on our fallen condition. So he was susceptible to weakness, hunger, fatigue, suffering, temptation, and death. He didn't stop being God, but he added humanity. So I don't know if you remember in verse 1 of this whole letter, Paul threw out two identities. He said to the Philippians, um, you are saints in Christ Jesus. We spent some time on that. It's like, be a saint? Like, yeah, it means you're forgiven of sins and you're given Jesus righteousness so that when you put your faith in Christ, God looks at you and he sees not your sin, he sees Jesus' righteousness. And so as a saint, it means you are set apart, you are God's people, you're useful to God. Like he sees you just like he would see his son. He loves you just like he loves his son. And so if you went around with just saint status, you'd be pretty, you could be pretty proud. Like looking around at everybody and maybe looking down, I'm a saint, are you a saint? Like, but then remember the other identity Paul just laid right beside that was servant, a servant of Christ Jesus. Like, and so when you serve, you don't lose that status as saint. You're still a saint, but it's because you're a saint and so cared for and loved and provided for that you're willing to just grab that title of servant. And so there's, that's the godly swagger I talk about, that there's a confidence that God loves you and he's with you and he's for you, but you are laying aside the rights and privileges of being, being able to walk around and go, I'm God's son and daughter. And so it's like, no, I'm going to be a servant. And that's exactly what Jesus did first. Fully God took on humanity, took on the form of a servant who was born in the likeness of men. And you could stop there and you could say, that is incredible. Like he's already gone from, look how low he stooped in his humility, but it goes on. This passage just keeps going on and adding another layer. And it says that Jesus humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to the point of death. Can we just highlight from that statement that this didn't just happen to Jesus. It wasn't like Jesus stumbled into a rough patch in his life. And wow, look, he had a really bad season because he went from being God to now being, like, no, this was a choice. Like, he chose this. He obeyed the Father. He went from the status of fully God to being now a servant in the likeness of men. And he was obedient to the point of death. And even then, you just are staggering. You go, okay, certainly that's, that's the end, right? And there's just one more big step where it's not just death. He didn't die some noble, martyr's glorious death. He died the most humiliating, um, the most shameful, the most painful death. He could die death on a cross. If you died on a cross, you were absolutely the lowest of the low. There was no rank. There was no privilege. There was no entitlement to a person dying on the cross. There was just shame and humility um, humiliation, I mean, and um, the curse of God. Curse of God. That's, that's what Jesus has done for us. That's the Jesus we serve. Um, I just was talking to somebody in the foyer this morning, like, oh, I'm just getting ripped by my friends because I believe in God. Like, I just go, okay, well, just ask them, like, what God are they talking about? Because the God you're talking about, just show them Philippians too. The God we follow is a humble God. 
God that just stooped to our level, a God that gave himself for sinful people like us. Like, that's the God we follow. That's the God we love. That's the God we enjoy. There's been no greater act of humility than God becoming man, becoming a servant, dying death on a cross. And Jesus is just showing us what God is like. Jesus is showing what he is like. He is our savior. He is a servant. He's a humble God, not focused on his own rank, title, privilege, comfort, but he lay aside all those rights to serve you and to serve me. That, that's, that's Jesus. And so that's our standard. That's the mind that Paul is saying, like, guys, this, this is what I'm talking about. This is humility. And so then you could ask, okay, so how did God the Father respond to that? And what's beautiful, this passage, like verses 6 through 11, you'll kind of see they kind of stand out in almost two sections. And when you break it down, people know a lot more than I do about like Greek literature and all that, say that these, this was actually a hymn. This was like a song. And verses 6, it's sung in churches, sung by worshipers of Jesus, like commemorating what he's done. And so verses 6 to 8 were verse 1. And now verses 9 to 11 are like verse 2. Like, so what did God the Father do in response to this? So uh, that's where verse 9 picks up. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. The Greek text literally says, like, super exalted him. Like, if God exalts somebody, that's going to be a pretty good ride. Like, that's going to be a beautiful exaltation. But just to make sure we know God didn't just exalt Jesus, he super, hyper, ultra, you know, like ultra exalted Jesus. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As humble as Jesus went was as high as the Father exalted him. We see that theme throughout the Bible. Jesus said, if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. But if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. And the Bible tells us throughout that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Like, so as low as you go will be as high as God exalts. Like, there is incentive, there's reward, and there is beauty in seeing that we have a humble God that loves to recognize and acknowledge and exalt the ones who go humble. But no one no one has gone as humble as Jesus has gone, and no one will be exalted as Jesus has been exalted. I love that statement. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I, I, I just got to pause. Like, um, when it says every, that means yours. And there's two times that could happen. Like, that could happen today. That could happen tomorrow, like throughout your life. Maybe it already has happened that your knee has bowed, that your tongue has confessed that Jesus is Lord. But sometime when you are breathing and alive, I just strongly encourage you to get on your knees and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, not you, not your job, not a relationship. Like Jesus is Lord, all right? And why would you not want to bow the knee to a Savior like this? Why, what's wrong? What's, what, what am I missing here? Okay, so if you have not bowed the knee to Jesus, like just to see what he is offering you, I just encourage you like just to acknowledge that he is Lord and that you need him, all right? Because the alternative is that after your life is over, there will be a day where you will bow the knee and that will not be crying out to Jesus as Savior, but that would be us meeting Jesus as judge. 
And so we see the kind of judge that he is, where he gave his life first, and there's all kinds of appeal for you to bow the knee now, and that's, that's where I land right now, too. Can you just surrender your life to Jesus? Can you stop trying to lead it and do it yourself and be your own God, because that's not going to work? You need the God who is willing to give himself for you and humble himself for you, all right? So, and then what that means for us as a church, you guys, is that God honors humility. God hates pride. So that means when we are a group of people who gather in the name of Jesus, that we are a group of people who gather around what Jesus has done for us. Like we are amazed and astonished at that view of Philippians 2, 6 and 8. So when we gather, that's what Paul's talking about, this mindset is in you. So we go back to verse 1, like how do we, how do we become this kind of people then? How do we become this kind of church then go back to verse 1 where Paul said, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and if I could just clarify, like to take this the way the Greek language here was meant to be spoken here, it would, I would say the word since, not if, but since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort from love, since there is participation in the Holy Spirit and affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. As your ability to do this is because Jesus went first, and he's done this for you. And so now, is there encouragement in Christ? Yes, I have a Savior who humbled himself for me, right? Is there any comfort from love? Like, there's no greater love than one gives his life for a friend. Like, the greatest one ever gave his life for us. Guys, that's a love that we cannot find anywhere else. Is there any participation in the Spirit? Like, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in you, Holy Spirit had raised Jesus from the dead. That same Spirit gives power to your body. The Holy Spirit who comes in us and pours God's love into our hearts. Like, guys, that's how we can live humble lives, is that we have the mind of Christ, which is already yours, already yours in Christ Jesus. That through faith in Christ, God's love is poured into you. So you don't need to live to impress or to um, earn rank or title over anyone because the greatest one has already accepted you. The greatest one has already blessed you and empowered you. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to lose. You have no one to power up over. You don't, you don't need to prove that you're better than anybody there. You don't have to make statements by saying, I don't serve that person or those people. Um, you're free. You're free because you are loved and served by an almighty God. And that frees you to be a servant just like he was a servant to you. And so... This, this might be a tangent to you, but this means a ton to me. Um, if you go back to the Gospel of John, in John 13, there was a time where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It was like a statement of, a picture of, of being a servant and humbling yourself for others. I don't know if you remember that story, but it's in John 13, and when John was writing that story, he could have easily just told the facts he could have easily just said, oh yeah, and one day Jesus washed his disciples' feet and then just gone on. But in verses 3 and 4, it's like he pauses and he makes a, a statement about Jesus. He says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to, to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, took a towel, tied it around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet. Like, why is verse 3 and 4 there? I just want us to see that even Jesus, as he served, was serving out of what the Father had already poured into his life. All things had been given to him. He's the Son of God. 
that he had a purpose. He came to this world as a servant, and then there was a day he was going to return back to the Father. So he was set. He had nothing to prove, nothing to pull out of his disciples. He was completely free to serve them. Guys, if that was a motivator to Jesus to serve, like how much more so for us to just see what Christ has done for us, to have the mind of Christ, to look at how he has sacrificed himself, all the benefits we have in Christ, that frees you and that frees me up to live lives as servants too. And so um, you have been served by the God of the universe. Like he has given you everything you need. He is for you. He is with you. And as a group of people who rally around that truth, rally around the gospel, rally around a humble God who has given his life for us, that frees us to truly contend as, as one for the gospel. Um, when, again, remember I said, there are so many things going well in Philippi. I think Paul's just like calling them up. This could go even better. I think, I think the same is true at Parkview, that there are so many that are serving well. I think, um, let me talk a little bit about money. Uh, last statistic I saw is like, of our membership, I think 54% of our membership have given this year. I think like 20% have given the 2020 vision. So, you know, there are, and I throw those numbers out because we don't have the same kind of numbers on serving. Like how many people are serving, how many people are, but I would guess sometimes when you look at other churches, those numbers match up pretty similarly. So, you know, when Paul is looking at Philippi and going like, man, you guys are doing so many good things. Wow, I just wonder what else could be done. Like if we all truly had the mind of Christ. Like it's the same thing for me at Parkview. Like there are times where I feel like we're a sleeping giant. Like there's, there's a lot of good things that have happened, but I just wonder, it's like, man, if we could just, you know, just wake up more to what God has done for us, respond with this mind of Christ in, in the way we serve, in the way we give, in the way that we prefer one another, in the way we prefer those who have not heard the gospel. Like what, I'm, I'm already amazed, God, thank you for what you have done, but what could, what could it be? Like what could this look like? And the same would be true in your marriage, in your relationships, in your friendships. Like whatever level of enjoyment there is now, just imagine if, if humility, that humility dial was turned up and living with the mind of Christ was turned up in those spheres as well. Look out for what God could do and what God wants to do in those areas. When I look around the church, I don't even know where to start. Um, there's a guy named Larry that for, I think, 25 years has stood out in that parking lot. Uh, other than the days he wears his Iowa State cap, I'm really good with it. Like, he's out there, and he's parking people, and he's like, there was no question there about Larry saying, that's beneath me, I don't park cars, or I'll do that for a year, and I'll quit. Like, I just, I love that example. There's a guy named Don that a lot of you guys never meet, but like, even last night, he's like, Don, is the ice off the parking lot? And this morning, he's texting me at six, hey, we're putting salt on it. We've put three rounds of salt on it, where a couple weeks ago, I was here early and went, was going in the bathroom over there on that side of the building, and I about broke my neck. Like, it was just like a sheet of ice, and it turned out that one of those air freshener things was dripping uh, whatever is in those things on the floor, so you couldn't see it, but that floor was like slick. And so I didn't, like, I just text Don, and he's on it. Like, so, so there's that kind of stuff. You know, Mike, and, Mike and Rachel, who opened this service uh, this morning, this is about four years ago. They'd been coming to Parkview for a while, and they were trying to meet with Lori and I. It was one of those just crazy seasons, and uh, I was like, oh, well, you know, what do these guys want? And I was like, I had very few open 
evenings in that stretch. And so when I finally sat down with him, honestly, I'll be bad. This is bad pastor. You know, I was thinking like, okay, I feel like I'm just so giving out right now. And here's going to be maybe one more like, pastor, could you do this? Or could you, guys, it was one of the most memorable conversations. Mike and Rachel just went, well, we just really like parking. We've been coming for a while. Like, where do you need us? Like, where do you need us to serve? Here's what we like to do, but where do you need us? And that was right the time when John McHale was just coming on. It's like, well, we're kind of starting this community group thing. Would you like, great. Those guys latched on with John and Mary, and not just on a friendship level, but helped community groups get going. They've started a second community group now, but just like he's a deacon now, like just a beautiful picture of what do you need? Like, where, where can we help and throw in and then just do it? Um, there are many of you that have done that kind of thing too, but it's just kind of fun to throw a few stories out there. But, but what if we were a people who truly lived like Jesus has lived uh, for us? And just as Paul was encouraging the Philippians, man, you guys, you know, you've been partners in the gospel. Just think how this thing could even go in greater ways. When Paul talks about this would be for my joy, remember Paul's greatest joy was seeing the gospel go out and seeing people meet Jesus. And it's the same here, guys, I just, the greatest joy would be for God to use us to see more and more people in this city and around the world uh, meet Jesus. So I'm going to cut it off here. Um, there's a list of like practical ways to grow in humility that we're going to send out in an email tomorrow. You can just kind of track with those. Um, but I'm just going to close in a time of prayer. And I'd love for you to pray first, just quietly where you are. Just pray in response to uh, what Jesus has done for you, what you saw today when we looked at those beautiful verses in 6 through 8. Could you just, just respond to Jesus right now? Jesus, we're a, a people that are just blown away. When we do just pause and look at what you have done for us, it's the most amazing, the most beautiful view we will ever see. And my prayer has been, God, that we wouldn't just take a quick glance and just go and be unchanged, or we wouldn't just take a glance at that view and go, oh, yeah, it's Jesus but that we would truly be grabbed, that we would truly be inspired, that we would truly change how we live our lives, that we truly change how we treat each other, what we think of church, what we think of what unity is. Um, but Jesus, you have put on beautiful display what humility is. Thank you that we have a humble God, a humble Savior. Thank you for what you have done for us and help our lives point people to you by the way we just mirror back the humility that you have shown to us. You are awesome, Jesus. May your name be made great throughout this church and throughout this city and throughout the world. In Jesus' name, amen.